Called it loon shit. It's just that freaking greasy top layer on those northern roads. But I froze my bag off. Like I had every piece of clothes on inside my Welcome back to another episode of Come Out Heavy Podcast. I'm uh, Curtis here, and I'm sitting here with this dickhead Devin here. <laughs> Everyone, what's up? Uh, before we get going on hunting topics, uh, Christmas season's just around the corner, and uh, we want you guys to head over to our sponsor, FrontiersmanGear.ca, and you got to check their shit out. I mean, it's, it's just so not a lot of time left in the season. He sells out of stuff so quick. I mean, he's got stock and stuffers. He's got all sorts of items and stuff, and, and if you listen to the podcast or following us on social media. Uh, we got a promo code for the, the upcoming season, and, and we're going to run it for a little while with him. And So when you check out at Frontiersman, if you use uh, COH as the promo code, you'll get an additional 10% off at checkout. So, you know, if you're just looking for, you know, any odd items too, like don't just think you got to buy knives with him. They got hats, they got T-shirts, uh, they got the boot cares, you know, paste, the waterproofing, you know, tag holders, there's all sorts of stuff on there, gift cards. So yeah, just be sure to check it out if you're last minute shopping. Or I mean, it's we still got some time left. It's not that late in December yet. So even if you're getting ahead of the game, so that's C O H at checkout. And uh, yeah, we thought we'd launch that little promo right from the start before we get into our episode today. Kurt, how you yeah. been doing lately? Oh, not bad, man. Like like Devin was saying there, do yourself a favor, save some money, guys. He's got some fucking amazing quality worth of knives and leather work so do him a favor do us a favor use that promo code but yeah anyways back to me because i'm the important one here right um (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i was expecting to be gone to work for the last three weeks and that job got pushed back i don't know when i'm going now i don't know something fucking happened on site and it got shut down but which i was upset about yeah, fucking government. Everything's the fucking government's fault. Cocksuckers. We'll get on that later. Anyways, um, no, I was I was basically, last episode, I thought my season was completely done. I was kind of sulking a little bit about it. And yeah, I ended up getting my last uh, few weeks of deer season, which I was absolutely pumped for because I hadn't fucking shot nothing all year. And I managed to get her done with the bull. And it wasn't... Not a fucking monster muley, but a decent one. Like a, I threw a tape on it the other day, and it, you know, it was a four by three. It scored before deductions one seventy one. So like, I threw if that it had the four point if it had the fourth point on it, it would have been like a one seventy six buck, which is nothing fucking to brag about. But 
with archery and whatnot and end of the season well, you didn't get a lot so fuck you. you're not gonna complain no and i i seen this fucking deer in september too and i was like he's he's a good buck but i'm like you see something in september that's like well he ain't a fucking 180s 190s buck so i'll let him walk because who knows what's going to walk out the rest of the year right and then i didn't see him for fuck a month and a half and i just happened to be heading out to the bush and fucking come around the corner man and i could see does and then this that buck was standing back in the trees and i watched him rake a tree so i just like got out fucking got everything out of the truck and tiptoed down the road got into i kind of i could range the tree that was in front of him like okay like 46 47 yards so i just kept kept walking and like counting my steps and when he walked out he was quite a bit behind that tree so i'm like fuck he's probably 50 so I was like, took my 50 pin, held it a little bit high and fucking stoved him fucking full pass through. He ran a couple, fuck, not a couple, probably 50 yards piled up and then the work began. But yeah, I was pretty pumped. It's, I was pretty much wrote the season off and I was fucking pretty, pretty bitter about not being able to whack nothing this year. Yeah, that's, well, congrats on that, and it, uh, what looked even better was, fuck, you're really turning into the connoisseur of the butcher knife, fucking tomahawk steak in, eh, fuck? Oh, yeah, yeah those nice looks pretty good, cuts. eh? Jesus, eh, Bobby Flay over there. Yeah, yeah, fucking. <laughs> yeah, no, it looked. It was, uh, how, yeah, how that, that one slot of meat. Buck? Dude, pretty fucking good, I'm not, not gonna lie, like, I, so I, when I got them home, I threw some fucking steaks on, and they were pretty good. But anything that's on the outside of that fucking fillet is usually pretty chewy, right? So yeah. the outside rib meat, and I cut a fucking slab of uh, ribs off and threw it in the oven, and like the flavor was unbelievable. But you couldn't fucking chew that shit. Like it was fucking. I've I've fucking. It was so tough. <laughs> like I was, I was chewed, yeah. dude. I chewed a piece in my mouth for like a minute and i pulled it out and it looked the fucking same as when i put it in my mouth like it was just but that that fucking like that inside of that t-bone was fucking good like you can nice. cut that eat it no fucking problem i haven't had any of the tenderloins yet i it's all in the freezer now but it was the flavor i was surprised because i've had some fucking rank mule deer in november where you're just like Ugh, i just yeah. fucking pepperoni or something right but i like i love deer meat so i staked everything had some fucking roasts and and whatnot but i was impressed i thought it was going to be pretty rank but it was pretty good yeah well that's sweet i mean and to get it with done with your bow is always fun too i mean unless you're you know in certain country i think a lot of the mule deer hunting you do nowadays you can you know get close enough to them with a bow it just it's not really that long range opportunity that often that thick timber you walk through and whatnot. So, yeah, we like to hit those first stands and just kind of creep through them and just super slow. You don't put on a lot of K and just, you know, like where I seen them, like that should have been a rifle shot, but like usually they don't stick around, but man, and fucking deer in the end of November, like, they're in a fucking full-blown daze. They don't give a fuck. If the doe doesn't bolt, he ain't fucking bolting. He's yeah. going to stand there and be like, I don't care about you, <laughs> right? It's chasing fucking <laughs> pussy, but way of the road, right? So, no, it, it was good. It's <laughs> yeah. anything to do with archery is always, 
a little bit tougher and I got into archery hunting for the extra fucking 20 days a season but now I I almost enjoy it a little bit more it's I don't know it's anyone can fucking pick up a gun and shoot a deer out to 300 400 yards now like it's that's not a feat like you know our dads when they were younger like it's there was something out 200 yards they're like oh that's way too far I mean they were shooting open sight 303 too but like now with nowadays new rifles bullets optics fuck 300 yards is a fucking chip shot now it really is you know for anyone i could pick up a gun one day a year and fucking shoot something up to 300 yards so archery is just a little bit takes it to the next kind of little level i guess well i think that's the challenge everyone craves with archery and it's fun you know it's like a different connection with the bow like the guns i don't know you don't shoot it as much like you said but you can shoot your bow so much at home so it's yeah there's just something to be said about it i mean it's funny you know that's a that's a funny topic and and we've talked about it with a few of our buddies even some of the guys we've had on the show where you know they almost neglect archery because they just want to get it done so bad and i'm one of those guys like you just even though you know you'd probably even enjoy it more or, or maybe get those experiences that are like even closer or even harder but when you're connect like that you're more satisfied with what happened but it's hard to put the gun down still like even on the animals you've killed or you're happy with like fuck deer i could see like one thing like i don't get a huge heart on for fucking deer like i like hunting them i don't get out that much for them i get out for elk so much we go in on our sheep hunts so that that's a different one but man i i, I have a hard time putting the gun down yet even on elk even being successful over the years it's hard to be like what if I didn't get it done, you know? Uh, that's true. I mean, this, like, the area that we hunt up here, it's, you know, like, I could, well, pretty much every year, I could shoot a fucking 160 buck every year. Doesn't yeah. matter, right? Like, and I'm not bragging about it. I'm, like, that's nothing to be raving home about, but, like, it's just, that's what it is. Like, I want to shoot a fucking 190, 200-inch mule deer. Like, that's... Yeah. that's what i'm looking for and that's why like i seen this deer earlier in the year and i pass him up i could fuck i could have killed him with a gun 10 times he stood there and looked at me and i was like fuck like it's too early in the season and you're not quite big enough but when i ended up fluking out and getting an extra you know 10 days of season that i didn't expect and i knew who knows like i could get called tomorrow and be gone for a month so i was like i am not passing him up again because it might be my last day to go hunting so i yeah. let the wind out of him and that's all she wrote for him <laughs> yeah get some deer meat in the freezer yeah well we kind of uh i don't know we're, our season kind of dwindled out here i think the snow played a big factor in it and just i don't know you hunt so much and then sometimes you just gotta get ready for winter time but we we did manage to get out one more trip uh looking for goats and we we knew it was the weather was getting close like we're like wow this will probably be the last weekend and we had to use quads on the roads to get through the snow and the day before there was only three or four inches on the roads so we're like oh it's sweet like no problem and then this was like middle of november i think because i haven't even touched on this but it was like overnight it dumped like eight or nine inches on the road and it was that nasty fucking early season crust and it made it so 
we actually couldn't get to the trailhead where we wanted to hike into goat country and had to make the call like we brought snowshoes and we're ready to go in the snow we were deciding if we wanted to hike the extra you know kilometer and a half two kilometers on the road and then go into the back country and you know it was our last shot and we pretty much knew that if it's this much snow now that high it wasn't going to let us in any any other days so we did we hiked in it was decent push but nice day and fuck some of the wind drifts and shit we had to hike through in the actual backcountry were like chest deep in spots like just they cover yeah it was brutal like you'd have like these little small avalanche shoots we were trying to get through which looked like nothing when the snow wasn't there and then when you get in there all those little slides like wind drifts or just like little slide areas you know covered the trail we were trying to follow and it, it was pretty it was pretty bad like we i don't know got, it wasn't that far but we got like halfway in kind of swearing and cussing because you're wading through fucking snow at this point like is it really worth it and we got up to the ridge where we normally glass them and it, it's one of those times where i think everyone like you want to find them but it, a little bit inside of you is like i got another two kilometers of this shit to go to just to get to them so it's like <laughs> yeah how much how hard am i glassing like i we glassed hard don't get me wrong but it was like something inside was like hmm Maybe maybe do we I, shouldn't find him today. Yeah. Do I really want to go all the way over there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it, it was good to get back in. Fuck, it was a battle though. Like, on the, I was actually lucky we didn't get something because I, I broke a trekking pole on the way in, and then on the way out, my fucking snowshoe let go of my boot, and like I had I had to tie my snowshoe back together with paracord, and so having weight on it, it wouldn't have been good getting out of there. I mean. You know, those are yeah. the tracking poles we've talked about too. Like I've had those carbon tracking poles from like Costco or something for probably four seasons now. Like two sheep hunts, two backcountry elk hunts, some heavy pack outs, and I think even more hunts on top of that. So, you know, I was okay with like fifty dollar poles lasting that long and just finally snapping. Like and I actually got it yeah. stuck like in something. You know how we were like getting it stuck in that moss the whole time sheep hunting? And you yeah. like really leverage on that bottom of it. Well, that's what happened. I like poked it in once and I pulled and it just, it only snapped off right at the bottom. So I was able to still use it to get out, but I was like, fuck it, 50 bucks, like yeah. whatever. Sir, I, it served its purpose for sure. Yeah. And I think I, I'd probably buy another set of the cheap ones anyways. Like now I just know they have like a three-year life on them. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah well you could buy don't, 200 dollars ones or 50 dollars ones yeah but that yeah, was one thing exactly. i don't think we ever touched on that like when we were talking about our sheep hunt that was the fucking i had the rubber stoppers on the bottom of them fucking yeah. do not go into the fucking alpine without those rubber stoppers because you didn't have them on did you on our no. sheep hunt no i had the spikes no. and they just buried and and if you don't have, like, when you're going in the snow, you put those fucking snow, fuck, what are those fucking, I don't know what they're called. Those yeah, stoppers, they're like right? Yeah, the pads. They're like, yeah, yeah they're stoppers. Yeah, ski poles yeah. have them, all that shit, right? But, like, when you're going in, in the summertime, like in the mountains, you're not going to fucking have those stupid things on, right? So you peel those off. But when I got the, my uh, trekking poles, it came with the little rubber fucking, they're probably an inch around at the they're bottom. Like a foot, right? Yeah, a little foot. Yeah. That little thing is glue those cocksuckers on because as soon as you fucking lose one, 
you now have a fucking spear that spears into the fucking grass, especially going through the rocks with the fucking the moss, alpine moss, grass or whatever. The lichen, yeah. Goes in like a foot. And then every fucking step, you're trying to get it out, and then you're getting mad and smashing them down. And I've seen you have a couple meltdowns where you start smashing fucking poles. I know I do too. <laughs> like, no, nothing's when you're working hard and you're like stuck in alder or something. And what's the, the one thing that's going to take the fucking beating? It's your fucking trekking poles because that's convenient and it's already yeah. in your hand for smashing shit. So get those fucking rubber stoppers. It'll fucking, it'll save you 50 bucks. <laughs> Yeah, I was looking for mine. I could even use them like, well, I should have had them in the snow. But it was the same feeling. It had that crust layer of fucking snow. And then you you like tap it and your pole would just sink right through. I mean, yeah, I need, the, I need to find feet. So the new ones, I'll make sure the little kit, it always comes with that little shitty kit of like stoppers and feet and fucking pads and stuff. I have to throw it in my backpack and, and have those. So, yeah. Definitely, yeah. Glue those fuckers it was, on. It was... uh a little bit disappointing like we we got in there and didn't see goats they were there somewhere we couldn't find them good day for glass and like clear and yeah kind of lackluster finish to the season you know didn't didn't pull the trigger on elk and, and now bc we're, we're done here there's a few whitetail zones open i think I don't, I don't know if there's any mule deer left in the province but i know that uh whitetail down here you can still hunt with bow till the 20th of december so doubt i'll get out i mean it's christmas time coming it just doesn't feel like hunting to me like i don't i don't have like a desire to go now. wait around in the snow to... yeah exactly yeah we got to recover some calories after the year right <laughs> <laughs> i've had too many but... calories this year <laughs> but yeah it's kind of been uh you know a little bit tough and and fuck bc's been going through a hell of a time right now too the lower mainland merit Princeton, all that area is flooding out right now, like fucking brutal. So feel for you guys out that way. I, you know, I read, you know, it was nice. I, re I read something when when the floods were going on and th and things were happening, all those traffic jams around Hope and different areas. And some uh, guy, he had a deer in his freezer from this year, and he he brought a bunch of it out and barbecued it out on the road and and was you know giving away like barbecued deer meat for people who are stuck with their families and stuff and i'm like fuck yeah, yeah. like you know that's sweet it's you know good good for you good for the hunting community you know that stuff doesn't get shared around like you'd hope it would it's i i find that that community though like they're the first to step up in crisis not saying that there's other people that don't because i know there's a lots of different uh organizations and communities that step up when shit hits the fan but it's no different than the guys down there with the river boats. And like, yeah. yeah, there were some guys tooling around on the side of the freeway having fun, but those guys were going around picking up livestock. They were moving toilet paper and baby wipes and feed from people from Abbotsford to Chilliwack. And, you know, like they were buzzing around. And I know I, I read a bunch of posts there that the, the cops were stopping them from loading their boats and whatnot, even... And I get there's always the fucking cocksuckers that are out there looting and stealing shit when no people were doing it during the forest fires up here years ago, right? They know the town's empty, so they're sneaking yeah. in there, robbing people's houses. Like, those motherfuckers should get, well, you don't want to know what I think about them. But there's people out there doing good deeds for people, right? Like, and I seen, like, I can't, I read the number, I can't remember what it was. The amount of livestock that had to get put down down there is just fucking jaw-dropping it's crazy yeah, it's 
the lo- people's livelihoods that are gone. They'll never recover from that. Like some people, it's it's very sad, but it's good to see some people and a lot of those guys are in the hunting community stepping up and you know helping people out in time of crisis. It's it's definitely good to see. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, other news, I don't think we have much else on the, on the front. Kurt, you had a, one thing you want to talk about in kind of BC related news, I think. eh? Yeah. You know, everyone knows how much I love the fucking NDP government and, uh, their, (laughs) (laughs) their, uh, new old growth deferral fucking legislation that they're fucking putting through is just one more fucking thing that this government is just fucking this province. Like it is... It, I can't even go into detail on it because I just all will fucking start losing my mind because this this is gonna fucking put so many people out of jobs. It's gonna hurt all these small logging communities. What's what BC was fucking built off of, but they don't care because they can turn around and sell their fucking house for a million bucks or make a million bucks on their house that they their dad gave them or something bullshit like. It's it's gonna hurt a lot of livelihoods once you're out north out of the lower mainland or off the island and whatnot. So it sucks, and for those guys, well, like it's when it's that even shit comes, hunt. yeah, the island's part of it, right? You know, like that's yeah. There's a lot of old growth it's, there that they've been logging for years, and but yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna put a lot of guys out of jobs, and you know, a lot of these communities like we grew up in Quinell. It's a fucking forestry town, man. Like. There's already mills shutting down over the years, but it's the repercussions of it are going to be long lasting and fuck, man. I don't know. Like this government just keeps doing more and more fucking shit that just keeps hosing a lot of people and who's, who's going to benefit from it. The fucking bird watchers down in the fucking coast. Like it just, the politicians that's who benefit from it yeah. you know they keep getting voted in because they're doing it you know it got me thinking like you you know you, you shared your you know your utter you know disgust for it and just your passion against it like you know it, it's the exact same thing that happens with hunters you know it it's the same thought process it didn't go they from what we're understanding and you know someone can come and fucking correct us if we're wrong but what we understand is the facts aren't true you know there's numbers being thrown around that there's only three percent of old growth forests left in british columbia and from what we've been also been told that's a bullshit lie it's the same fucking way and that's just a propaganda scheme so that they will shut down the fucking logging right the science wasn't done. They're not following the facts again. And they're just going off of people's emotions. Like that whole Ferry Creek crisis. Like that whole thing we saw with people protesting it over just straight emotions. It happened with bears. It's happening with predators, with hunting. It's the same thing. They're just letting it become an emotional decision. And the easier play for these people in government is to roll over. And just be like, oh, you know, those few numbers out there in the country that are working, they they don't have as much of a voice so it's easier for us to shut them up but these ones in the city that we see every day or the ones that you know have more time to write emails and fucking rant on podcasts like this but like in the other sense you know the ones that they're seeing that affect their lives every day that's that's where they're making the decisions from did they go straight to like how how much old growth like we hear the numbers more like 30 percent 
Now, that might be wrong. We're not here. We're not fucking foresters. We're not here, you know, spitting facts about this. But the rumors say that there's like 30% old growth left in, in the province. And now they're saying like, 3%. Like that's, like there's going to be difference of opinions. But 3% to fucking 30% is a fucking gap. And I got those numbers from a forester that works for a fucking, the biggest fucking lumber producer and fucking probably the world, North, North America, America for sure. Yeah, North America probably. So, right? Like, you know, like who's who's so far out to lunch? Like, and I'm, I'm not saying that the numbers aren't inflated one way or the other because everyone's going to throw numbers out that benefits their opinion. Yeah. And I get that. But 3% to 30% is a big fucking gap. And I've... And I've got like uh, Instagram. I government of BC fucking had a sponsored fucking ad on Facebook and Instagram about the old growth deferral, and I watched the ad, and it, a fuck pretty good video that they put in there. You know, it probably cost taxpayers fucking a couple million dollars to put that fucking ad out there. It's done. It's professionally done. It's fucking really nice. And I commented, I said, thanks for putting out thousands of British Columbians out of fucking work, you fuckers. <laughs> I never got a response from the government of BC, but uh, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for John Horgan to message me personally. Probably, <laughs> I'll probably get audited instead, but either way. <laughs> so that's yeah, my it's... government fucking rant, man. It, we're going to hell in a handbasket, the way things are going. So Yeah, it's really, it's really tough to keep going down the same things it's the same fight right it's the same things it's like traditional work it's it's the the hunting it's the closures because someone doesn't feel like it's right you know it's the same thing it's an emotional decision by a a taxpayer that they're listening to one and not the other i mean maybe if we cried a little bit more and had showed a little more emotion on social media you know shed a tear every once in a while maybe we'd get a few more fucking things if if we did that, we'd get shadow banned and our posts would never get fucking seen. Like, I would like to see the documentation on where they got their facts for the reason for the old growth deferral. I guarantee you that Rainforest Coalition's fucking name is on that fucking document. Well, 100%. And you know who their name was on the fucking, that black bear bullshit too that was in, going on in the spring, right? Like... It's the same fucking groups. SPCA is funded from fucking Rainforest Coalition. So you got to look at these little fucking companies that are backdooring shit. And it's always these, they're not little companies. They're fucking big. Yeah. And they're all based on the coast. And they've got their fucking, they're in somebody's ear that is in the government. And we need to get a fucking lobbyist group that's down in fucking Victoria that are fighting for our rights and, you know, don't get me wrong, like the forest industry is a fucking billion dollar, hundreds of billions of dollars have come out of BC for it. They've, they've made a lot of fucking money, but they've built a lot of towns and a lot of industry across British Columbia. Like it's, BC Wood is world renowned. Like it's grade A quality. It's, you know, it, there's so many communities. Well, this a, is going to affect a, a lot of people. It's also a sustainable fucking economy. Like all these people think like logging is this like barbaric ritual you know <laughs> it's proven to be yeah. sustainable half the wood there's a ton of wood in bc that's like third growth but they're calling it or third cut and they're calling it old growth like that's what i'm saying they're just like skewing the facts just so they get their way again mm-hmm. like it's the same fucking yeah. shit you know it's over and yeah. over but, and like, we're ranting i don't know what the fuck we're ever gonna do to be able to change this shit it's turning into the hunger games around here yeah it's all right. We'll be the ones that don't end up hungry. 
Yeah. yeah I can shoot a bow and be like that Katniss from the show, you know? Sniping <laughs> motherfuckers. Uh, anyways, I yo. think I'd do good. I'd do good yeah. in 100 games, I think. <laughs> yeah, fuck that. You'd be killed. <laughs> yeah, right. Are you kidding me? I'd climb up a motherfucking tree and be fucking raining down arrows. <laughs> All right. Well, we put a bit of a show together today. We uh, we had a buddy on that we haven't connected with in a lot of years. We used to play hockey with this guy back in Quinell, and you know he's kind of went the same pathway as us later in life. You know, got into backcountry hunting and did it over in Alberta, and got into sheep hunting a lot, and just a good dude. And we thought we'd hear some of his stories and and some of the shit he's been up to over the last ten years. You know, same thing. He's kind of had some adventures where he dove into the backcountry unprepared or a little bit, you know, early on and, and learned that he loved it and, and wanted to keep going with it. So it was a pretty good talk to get a, an old friend from, from back home on and, and see what he's been up to. Yeah, it's good to kind of see, like, well, we talked about the, the draw system, the LEH draw system in Alberta and what, a, what that entails compared to what BC is like and, and crossing over the border and being able to hunt. So... It's uh, it was a pretty good little bullshit bullshit session with David. You know, I coach hockey with his dad. Um, I don't, did you ever? I don't think you did play with him. He was a little no, bit younger than really, you, no. quite a bit younger yeah. than me. But um, yeah, good guy all around, and you know, he's managed to take a couple bighorns in Alberta, which is no easy feat. And you know, it's uh, yeah, just a good dude and some good stories. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Well, I'd like to welcome a friend of ours from, you know, the good old days, the glory days when we could all still skate and, and shoot pucks. And uh, David, hey, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a, been a long time. Yeah, little little background story here. Like, David, his father was my principal in high school yeah. and ended up my first year ever coaching hockey was with his dad. And I kind of knew who David was kind of through the the junior hockey development camps and whatnot and, you know, knew he was a pretty decent player and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, with David, he's doing lots of hunting. And like we said, when we were catching up a couple minutes ago, he kind of somebody's life through Instagram, Facebook and whatnot, somebody that you haven't seen for years. So this is the first time we've actually been chatting like face to face in fuck, 10 years, 12 years. Oh, yeah. yeah more than that i've graduated there. for fucking i don't even know i don't even want to say <laughs> long long time so yeah i think probably for Devin and i would have been uh one of the junior camps i think we were in quinell's camp together yeah many moons ago like yeah i think it's been a while it's okay like kurt said it's interesting the way the world works now right you kind of think you know someone and hunting's kind of like that too like it seems like you share a pretty hard passion you know backcountry uh, just and this is just gathering information from your instagram page and no actual conversations but it seemed like you really get after it and get out there correct yeah. me if i'm wrong and if you're just faking it and you have like someone else's photos up but i kind of doubt that that's the case <laughs> yeah no that's that's definitely not the case There's, yeah um yeah uh obviously i moved away from cornell and i know devin moved away too and i think Kurt, you're kind of the only one that stayed. Yeah. Lifer, buddy. Yeah. Keep down for life. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so played a pretty good 
junior career that kind of trumped hockey or uh, trumped hunting for quite a few years. But once I finished college, I got back into into hunting and started out hunting around Edmonton, doing lots of duck hunting and stuff like that. Just getting out of school and broke and doing what you can for hunting and so made. When, sorry, I was before you dump into that. Like when you were growing up in Quinella and playing hockey lots, did you get out hunting much with the family, or was it always a thing, or did or did you come into it later in life? Uh, no, we always hunted a lot when I was growing up, um, as much as we could, but we were always in hockey or doing biathlon or something. So sports were a major thing that took up a lot of time, but um, my dad, Robin, was a avid, avid moose hunter, and his dad was an avid moose hunter as well. So mainly grew up watching my dad or one of his hunting buddies shoot a moose almost every fall, whether it was doing the, the immature bull or, or draw around Quinnell and Nasco area. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of same as us, eh? Like learning, learning from the old boys. Yeah. Yeah. Was that, no, you guys had horses growing up a bit, didn't you? Yeah. We had calf rope and stuff when I was really young and then, uh, transitioned as his back started to go into cutting horses, but we, uh, we never used those horses for for hunting at all oh no just yeah. just farming and stuff and rope yeah are, yeah making horses money Those making notes. horses yeah. yeah money burning yeah. horses more like it <laughs> well yeah all depends <laughs> on how good of a rider you are <laughs> yeah yeah so so go ahead go ahead when fuck you started you, yeah fuck off i'm talking <laughs> <laughs> uh when you yeah like you said you got out of hockey <clears throat> probably or in school i guess kind of later in your 20s there and then you started easing back into hunting i would imagine it it took you a little while to to throw a backpack on it and just dive right back into the backcountry oh well that's kind of a funny story it took um one year and i one year kind of like duck hunting and then uh yeah shot a whitetail around edmonton nothing nothing special just kind of didn't really know who to ask for permission, so found little tracks of, you know, public land around the city and did what you could and shot a little spike buck my first year, getting back into it and yeah, a bunch of ducks and stuff. But uh, second year, I had always wanted to to go on like a sheep or goat hunt when I was growing up, but we were always always moose hunting, so um, which was awesome too. But we. Uh, yeah, so my first trip, I got on some hunting forums and figured out that, you know, area around Hinton was pretty good sheep hunting. So bought a backpack at Cabela's for <laughs> cheap and just scrounged together a bit of gear and uh, headed off into the hills. I had a tarp from Canadian Tire as a tent, no. <laughs> <laughs> young and dumb and just probably, you know, mentally tough from playing hockey and said whatever it's not gonna be that bad i'm just going for a night and uh yeah hiked up into this basin and strung a tarp between two trees and put a a wool blanket down and that was my camp for the night (laughs) and uh ended up seeing uh seeing a couple ewes and an immature ram on that first trip and been been hooked ever since going out there and obviously it's time's gone on and 
start making more money out of school and stuff, you eventually buy better gear. And shortly after I bought a tent and realized that a tarp and a wool blanket probably wasn't the best thing. <laughs> well, I got you up there right away though, man. It's oh yeah. It was went with, not, went with what you got. Yeah. yeah. Not a lot of guys got 10 grand to dump on gear right off the fucking hop and see something you don't even know if you're going to like it or not. Like, what if you went yeah. up there and hated it and you're like, well, yeah. I'm into this for a fucking tarp, <laughs> a blue polyurethane tarp and good to go, right? Yeah, exactly. It was, yeah. but like I, I knew that I was going to like being in the mountains. I, uh, my mom's side of the family growing up, they were big hiking family, uh, grew up in, she grew up in Ontario, but then her family really liked hiking, coming up to BC a lot. So her... Her parents actually relocated from Barrie, Ontario to Nelson, BC. So it spent a lot of time and summer holidays going down to, to Nelson and Kootenai area and spending a lot of time in the mountains. Down there hanging out with all the hippies, eh? Just like Yeah. <laughs> so you just eventually got to grow a beard and just fit right in. Yeah, fucking yeah. granola eaters down there. <laughs> but that's pretty wild. I mean, it kind of goes... <clears throat> We've touched on this, Kurt, and I talk about that a bit, like... I think we've told some of our listeners, like when we talk about the sh- the backcountry hunts we do now, it's like, yeah, you don't need to go out and, you know, buy all that crazy gear. It is a good thing. Like that's a, why not try it like that? Like you said, you might even like it more, the, the more minimalistic, like some guys do that on purpose. They buy and use less gear because it's more of a challenge. Now you got to pick your battles too. Like you don't go into the mountains in October and do that, but you know that august sheep or early september like get in there and try it out that it's out we've slept underneath tarps when we've gone on horseback trips and stuff for a night it's not going to kill you you know depending on the weather situations yeah and i mean it's one of those things it's even now it's sometimes i still bring a tarp it's a nicer kafaru tarp but it's at the end of the day it's still a tarp and i sleep under it but it's just pick your battles on what do you want early season hunt with a tarp. I mean, I'll take a 11 or 12 ounce piece of fabric over a four pound tent any day. As long yeah. as the weather looks like it's going to be decent, especially when you're rolling solo. Yeah. Yeah. Now, especially with my and probably Devin too, like growing up playing hockey and you know, it, like you said, mental toughness of just having the dedication to just put your head down and hike up a fucking mountain just to see what's up there right that's kind of what i got into it Devin, same thing and i feel like the bag skates that we did as kids growing up and access the hard games and the battles it kind of mentally prepares you that you know i can do this i can kind of conquer anything if i put my mind to it right do you feel that was kind of like your mentality going in especially going in not ever doing yeah definitely a big part of it like i knew Knew I wasn't gonna die from doing it. If I got tired, just sit down, eat a granola bar, and take a rest. Like it's just, yeah, just one foot in front of the other. And I was always, yeah, pretty confident with how I felt physically and everything going into it. I wasn't ever stressed, but I mean, it's yeah, be ready to be uh, be a little bit tough and stick it out. So like, I'd kind of agree with like being ready physically, like coming out of hockey when you're 22 or 24 whenever you i don't know if did you play up at nate did you did you no i didn't play any any college hockey no so right out of 
so yeah 20 years old you're in good shape still i remember doing that like down here like i played hockey right up till 20 and then still in relatively good shape from that and then go hunting the next two falls and yeah wear carharts and like skate shoes in the backcountry and hike the same amount i hike now but not even think twice about it where now if i put carharts on and try to lift my knees it feels like i'm like doing extra box lunges or some fucking things. Like it's so much harder to hike in. Like I yeah. swear I'm like that much out of shape. I can't even lift my knees with Carhartts on. Well, I think it's also like you guys have experienced too from seeing your guys' hunts on social media. It's, you know, we all run the good gear now that's light performance fabrics and top end boots. And you're just, that's what we're accustomed to now when we go there. It's not, you know, we're, we've moved on from, I know as a kid, like wearing surplus army wool pants that somebody wore in World <laughs> War II that my mom hemmed for me. Like, <laughs> going from yeah. that to wearing some Sitka or Kuyu pants now, it's it's a night and day difference oh, in, yeah. in what we're rolling in. Yeah, boots is the, that is the ultimate for me, man. Like, I've rolled around in skate shoes for fucking 10 years, and my pretty sure my feet are fucked now because it, like, they're, if I, if I don't have good soles or arches in my boots, like I can't walk the next day. If I have a, yeah. one day of walking around in shitty shoes and I'm, I'm blaming it all on fucking flat bottom skate shoes in high school all the way through. Oh yeah. You look at any pair of my shoes now, they've all got super feet insoles in them. Even yeah. like a pair of skate shoe slippers that I'll wear to the rink to play beer league in have super feet in them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's just age or just smarts, but I don't well, know. That's got to be a sheep hunting thing, like take care of mountain hunting thing. Just take care of your fucking feet, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, goes definitely. goes a long way. Um, when you first started diving into that sheep country in Alberta, like <clears throat> nowadays it's probably different. You got kind of your area figured out or areas figured out. But what did it look like for scouting back then? I know you said like forums a bit, but it was it just a, a Google Earth mission? Read as much about it as you could? Or, or what's that terrain like out there? Yeah, it was kind of a a google earth and forums like people would say uh you know they'd mention like a river or a mountain and it'd be go try to find a river or that mountain on on google earth and scour for roads but i mean back in 2013 2014 i mean google earth wasn't what it is today so did as much as that as you could um there's also a lot of what they call a uh, wildland areas here or wilderness areas. And they have pretty good maps like developed of those areas with trailheads and parking lots and different stuff like that. So use that stuff to give me the kind of beginning steps of getting in there. And I just picked a, picked an area that wasn't too far, too far from Hinton the first time. And, ended up being a Seeing reasonable sheep, yeah. good fault yeah, yeah i saw sheep on my first trip i mean there weren't anything to write home about but it uh definitely enough to pique the interest and then just kept coming back to that same area year after year for about four years i think before i got my first ram in there yeah now were you were you pushing like deeper every year were you getting that mileage built up just getting more comfortable like those first years i found heading in the backcountry like leaving the truck 
a kilometer in the bush felt like oh man like i'm a fucking long way from my truck now but then the next year it was like oh two kilometers and it was four and then it was like what did that look like going in there it was i think my first trip um was probably about three to four k from the truck and then i think my second trip was probably about 12k from the truck and i mean that just i mean looking back at it now with the type of gear i had and experience level i mean it was a little bit a little bit stupid but i mean growing up and knowing that from about the age of 13 that i could put you know a front with an old surplus pack frame and make it out i knew you just i felt confident enough that i might make two to be late for work or whatever but oh well Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's uh so those, what did it look like for like optics and stuff back then? Did like you said, you're on a budget, so were you just I you had, know, just scraping by? I didn't have a spot scope. I think I had uh, I had a pair of Redfield binoculars at my grandfather's, and a like a two hundred dollar Bushnell rangefinder, and uh, wood stocked uh, Ruger three hundred Win Mag with a three to nine Bushnell on it. So it's, <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, it's a great yeah. setup. Yeah, I mean, perfect setup for hunting moose around Quinell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, slowly upgraded the gear over time and definitely running a far superior setup now. So, yeah, and back so, then, were you? Oh, sorry. Sorry. No. Go ahead, Kurt. No, go ahead. I was going to ask him about uh, what gear he's running now. Oh. I know you're big into the shooting, but if you got more to talk about. Yeah, I just had like a little bit just in the past. Like, were, were you solo for years at a time or did you start to take, like, was it one of those things where you found a spot and you didn't want to take anyone in or it was it that whole, like, couldn't find someone that really fit the bill for the backcountry partner? Uh, yeah, I just, the people that I knew at the time, there was no one in my friend circle in Edmonton that was really into doing any hunting like that. Um, you know, they liked, if they couldn't shoot a deer from pretty well sitting in their truck. And when someone pushed a field for them, they weren't really that into it. So, um, yeah. yeah, so I just, for the first probably three years, I didn't really have anybody to go with. Um, my dad came out for a couple hunts with me, but, I mean, he could only come out so many times and feel when you're 23 and your dad's 65, 66, and you're dragging him up into the mountains and you don't really know what you're doing and he doesn't know what you're doing and he has never hunted sheep really before. It's kind of was the blind leading the blind on those few trips that we made together, but they're still a lot of fun and good trips. And, you know, we both look fondly back on those memories, but um and then probably my third year into hunting out there I actually ran into two guys that were from Edmonton on on the mountain and chatted them up and talked to them for quite a while and uh one of one of those guys and I hunted together for about a year but um wasn't a wasn't a lasting friendship but it was he <laughs> yeah he uh 
definitely put in the uh, put in the work way more than I did. Like he was a go 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 hiker all the time and didn't really get be into glassing a lot. And we really covered a lot of country and seen a lot of things, but weren't successful. And then at that point, I actually ended up moving moving out to Hinton and uh, kind of funny coincidence the company that hired me happened to have three or four guys that worked at it that hunted the Hinton area religiously for sheep and friendships with them and uh, have hunted with them for the last few years oh nice nice yeah yeah you got any more touch uh on the past dev or uh no i think that's probably it you can go ahead with the next one if you want yeah i just i noticed you do lots of shooting uh videos online some long range shooting so tell us now like what kind of gear you're working with now uh so i yeah a lot, lot of long range shooting uh again one of the guys that i met when i moved out to hinton we uh yeah fell in together right away and we're basically two peas in a pod he was actually my best man at my wedding this last summer so but um yeah so we will yeah we've shot nine pound hunting rifles out to a mile together which is pretty cool yeah. so uh, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah what, what's the build like what did you put together for a gun to do that like what are you running right now that was a old old Seiko action that my dad had from when he was still gunsmithing he had a left hand uh Seiko AV uh 375 flank uh, Magnum action and then it's a 26 inch proof research barrel with the carbon wrap on it and a carbon filled uh, Macmillan stock with a Leopold BX5 on it or a uh, Mark 5 on it I should say nice. Nice. hold on your old man gunsmith yeah holy shit I thought he was just a principal all this time <laughs> a boy and a gunsmith eh yeah yeah he's <laughs> He made some pretty nice guns back in the day. Um, I think he he told me once that his gun started at ten grand a pop. Jesus, and this was back in the nineties. Yeah, he, he figured it out that he was making on a ten thousand dollar gun. He made three dollars and ninety five cents an hour. <laughs> Fuck, worth it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really, when you're raising two kids, calf roping and coaching hockey and doing everything else, plus teaching and being a principal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it didn't really pay off. Eh? No, I wasn't paying <laughs> yeah. the bills for sure, but yeah. So, yeah, that gun there, is that kind of like your everyday gun? You take that everywhere you go, or is that specific just bench shooting? No, I'll take that that most places that'll go. Um, I decided to be a bit of a weight weenie, and I I got another gun built not too long ago that I took this year because I you know nine pounds is kind of heavy. So I I uh, was like fourteen. I packed up in the mountains, man. <laughs> well, three hundred rum. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. We also said so, we were stupid back then. Well, yeah. Still end up being fucking eighty plus pounds every time I fucking go. But, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we uh, yeah. So this last year when I was sheep hunting, I had a, I got a little six five, PRC built by Coralines, and it has a. 
Joking. <laughs> 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 the the six five guys, but yeah. some hard times. But the PRCs oh. are actually fucking pretty decent. The Creedmoors, yeah, on the I'd... other hand, I don't know. Nah. Yeah, it's kind of the the six five creed more for men. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's got a little eighteen inch benchmark barrel on it and uh, a stiller stiller action and uh, manners stock on it. So I think that gun's scoped and everything. I think it's right around seven pounds. Nice. Oh fuck, nice. And you could reach out and touch something with that thing too, eh? Yeah. So that little gun, I shot it out to 1,100 yards. So, That's sweet. So with the rest of your gear, like what, uh, like backpacks, you know, like we're obviously pretty good advocates for wearing the Kuyu gear and whatnot, but what do you rock now for boots, backpacking gear, shit yeah. like that? Uh, so backpack, I have a Kafaru uh, EMR2 on one of their older tactile frames. I've had that pack for a number of years now. I got it in 2015. And yeah, yeah it's been a great pack. Definitely was a big upgrade from the Everly stock pack that I was running before. <laughs> after, yeah. Yeah, packed a mule deer in that Everly, sta- Everly stock pack for about 15K one night. And I was like, there's gotta be a better solution. So <laughs> yeah research and yeah Kafaru really I'd really like to look at their gear back in the day and still do and yeah they then uh yeah they're not the lightest pack out there but I think for for feature and durability and and comfort I think they're probably one of the top ones out there yeah for sure and then, always uh, hear good things about how they pack the weight too like guys are pretty happy with them yeah I've had I've had a couple of loads now in it scaled that were over 150 pounds in it and it's a lot of weight and you can definitely feel it, but it's, oh, it's yeah. definitely manageable. Yeah. yeah. Like 110, 115 pounds, man. Honestly, it's, it's a fuck. And yeah, you never, you're never packing that much on flat land either. It's always up and down and. Oh yeah. It def- down snow drifts whatever yeah yeah and then uh yeah boot wise um usually run some type of mountaineering boot i've been partial to the last sportiva brand as of late uh the nepal evos you're kind of look like you're bob marley running around in the back country with the bright yellow and green <laughs> but they fit my feet good and good support and little bit of insulation for the late season which isn't bad and those boots now and actually johnny just picked a, a pair up there and he fucking loves them too said super comfy super warm too eh? yeah yeah super, yeah and then i like the stiffness the stiff sole in them for up in the scree slopes and being able to put on a cramp on in them and have that extra extra stability for the late season october hunts is added bonus on them nice and then uh yeah rest of the gear i'm not really partial to any brand i kind of just buy whatever piece i think is gonna serve me the best so mix a sitka and kuyu um starting to run a little bit more kuyu just because all the guys up here are running it but 
started off. I want to be one of the cool shaker. kids. We get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! Nothing's changed, eh? No. Holy <laughs> 15, shit, talking. Fifteen years later. Yeah. You gonna um, be a cool kid? You gotta yeah. shoot a bower stick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You gotta get a sack. Of- yeah. That's oh right. yeah. If you don't have a sack at curve, you're nothing. Yeah. Or- the fuck yeah. are you doing? Yeah. None of us had a hard enough shot, anyways, to make yeah. a difference. So. No, <laughs> they all slashed the same. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cross check equally one... is hard. Yeah, the yeah. wood ones were probably actually better. Yeah, way better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another piece of gear I was curious about with you is uh, like your tent setup. Have you bounced around a bit since you had the blue poly tarp to the Kafaru tarps now? But I, I, do you run like different tent setups for uh, different seasons? Obviously, like what do you got going on now? And if you've bounced through a few, let us know kind of what you felt with your tents. Yeah. So, um, luckily, I have had a pretty good hunting buddy uh zach bishop is a blade so we ran between the two of us we bounced through a few um i have a hilleberg uh alec their their two-man tent with the two vestibules coming off the side and then i've got a kafaru paratarp and then he's had a kafaru sawtooth and a seek redcliffe and yeah. then a one of the original Kuyu tents, and we've used all those tents over the years, um, probably for overall comfort and size-wise. That seek outside Red Cliff with a with a stove, and at the end of October is a nice added bonus. Um, but if we're camping up above the tree line, we're definitely either bringing the the Hilleberg or the Kuyu. A dome tent out mm-hmm. so, yeah that nice. uh i've got into those seek outside uh tp style just recently uh hunting partner of mine has them and we haven't put the stove in it yet he's got one we just never got out for it but uh what is your impressions on that like you see i, I feel like there's a lot of r- romance surrounding that because it looks so cool in photos and uh you see the stove pipes and it's heated but yeah they're floorless and there's there's a lot more to it and I was really interested in getting out underneath one with the stove. We never, like I said, got into it. What What is your experience been? Have you liked them or their pros, cons? Like, what do you see in there? Um, well, they're single wall shelter. So without the stove in there, you're going to get some condensation buildup in there. Um, so if you're going to run a floorless shelter, it's probably best to run it with the stove. Unless you're setting up on relatively or really dry ground just the kind of ground condensation people being in there. That, that's um, what brings all that condensation in. I did notice that we used it this year, and it seemed to get quite a bit. I mean, it wasn't bad enough climate that it mattered, but, yeah, I did notice that it seemed to have more condensation. That's coming from the ground then, eh? I think it's a combination of ground and, and you breathing and stuff in there and your body heat and stuff and just the temperature difference. Yeah. Um, the stoves are are nice like being able to come back and dry off a set of gloves and dry off a set of boots i know there's a few pictures on our instagrams of us having a couple stakes pounded into the ground around with boots hanging off them and stuff and that's a really nice added bonus um they don't burn for a long time just with how they seal up and being you know paper thin titanium walls on them but they do 
they do take the chill off or, you know, to be able to sit there when it's minus 10 outside and your t-shirt inside the tent with the stove going and have a whiskey before bed's pretty nice too. So fuck that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. good. So that's like the kind of temperatures you've seen with these, uh, using those stoves. Yeah. We, well, we've been, I mean, we've probably been into minus 25 with those. And if you want it to stay warm in that tent, you got to be feeding the wood to that stove pretty hard yeah so <laughs> it'll be what, you'll have the stove pipe glowing red by the middle of the night so are those late season climate and temperature like that is that always in a sheep hunt for you like do you you're pounding the sheep in alberta both early and late or what's that look like yeah so historically kind of your best time to get sheep in alberta is going to be opening weekend kind of labor day weekend and then uh the end of october yeah. yeah, just trying to get, you know, they start rotting in November, so get them as close to the, the pre-rut action as you can. They seem to move a little bit more, and early season, you can catch them up high before they've seen too many people on the skyline. Yeah. Do you do you find, like, uh, near the end of the season, do you get more rams kind of coming out of the woodwork then, kind of like mule deer do that, and I don't know that to bighorn so i have no idea what it's like but is that what yeah you yeah you'll see it moving back and forth and i mean the majority of the bighorn hunting in alberta you're hunting boundaries whether it's a, a mine or jasper or banff park or waterton boundaries or kind of down down south north of waterton you're kind of hunting the bc alberta boundary between i guess fernie sparwood area and crow's nest past in there Mm -hmm. so there's hmm. it's not a unless you go kind of into the north country north of Hinton here you're pretty well on a boundary somewhere yeah. so you're really wanting to opportune hit that opportune time when they're they're moving a bit more and grouping off yeah. and getting ready to rut nice what's uh what's the seasons like for that like is it uh is there an open season for Alberta residents? Do you guys got to put in for a tag or what's that look like over there? Uh, majority of the province on Bighorns is uh, over the counter tag. So general season. So it'll run from August 25th to October 31st. Is there an elevation drop over that way for like kind of pristine areas? Yeah, there is. Uh, most of the areas that are draw now, like we have a, we have a point system here. So each yeah, year I want to get into in, that get... too. Yeah. Yeah. We're, that's another, that's the topic for a little later for sure. Okay. <laughs> fucking the BC fucking shit. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. Cause you guys are full lottery, but yeah. So th there are some areas that are pretty pristine. Like the, the red cap area south of town here is a, uh, is a pretty pristine area to go hunt sheep. I've not spent a lot of time in it, but I've heard that there's, been groups of sheep seen in there 20 rams and they all look like they have two quad tires coming off the top of their head yeah so, but i think it's a, a 27 27 priority points or something to get drawn in there so i don't okay. know if i'll be sheep hunting when you have I build 27 points, points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so you you've taken two uh two bighorns is that correct yourself yeah yeah, two bighorns myself, and then been on three other hunts with bighorns. 
What do you take away from like have you gone thin horn at all or has it just been big horn so far? I've I've just done big horn so far. I haven't gone on a, a I haven't hunted sheep in BC or gone up to the territories yet. So. Um have you got any uh stories with the big horn hunts, like one particular that stands out for you that you can share with us or Oh yeah. We well I we I guess we could kind of run down a couple of them here. So yeah. uh first my first bighorn was kind of funny. It was uh, my first time really going on a horseback hunt at all. So riding somebody's borrowed horse that you've only been on one trail before was a little bit entertaining, but it was. I ended up having a good horse. But um, one of the guys, we did have a bit of a wreck on the way in. One of the guys got bucked off and stuff. And we... Uh, <laughs> You know, it wasn't too bad of a wreck, just a little crow hop and the uh, lead rope went under the his horse's tail and gave it a good spook going up a steep hill. So the way his horse reared up, he only fell about a foot and a half going up the mountain. But <laughs> That's lucky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it could have been pretty bad. Um, yeah, so we got into, a, got into this spot and knew it was a pretty good spot. We had had a, had a friend a few years earlier kill a ram in that same basin and we were didn't see anything the first day and we had to pull a bunch of these willows out on the riverbed to make a spot to fit the uh floorless shelter so this would be a good learning point for setting your stove up is <laughs> make sure that all the roots if you have to pull willows out make sure all the roots are really packed down and nothing sticking up and about halfway through the night we all started coughing and choking while we were sleeping in the tent. And we actually had started a, a root fire inside the tent because the <laughs> uh, bottom of the stove got so hot. <laughs> we were all Jesus. trying to we were all trying to hunker down into our sleeping bags and get away from the smoke. And then we realized that the uh, yeah the roots underneath that little titanium stove had started to amber and. So, <laughs> had a sweat had a sweat lodge out there. Yeah, basically made a little sweat lodge and got that taken care of, and we ended up getting up the next day and just, of course, we were only hunting about an hour south of town here, so it's just a weekend hunt for us. So, next day we got up, it rained and couldn't see anything. Whole valley was fogged in, and we ended up just deciding to go for a walk in our rain gear for something to do and we uh were sitting down and kind of dozing off and falling asleep on the side of the mountain in our rain gear every once in a while it clear and we'd glass the other side and the um weren't seeing anything and then another group of hunters started coming up the uh the basin coming up into the same basin so we said well we should move to the next one and make sure we checked the last corner of this basin we hadn't been able to see see into and turned out when we made the 20 strides to see the last corner of the basin there was four rams feeding in there and one legal one well one legal one that was was worth shooting and uh, a little bit of a straw draw game and i ended up coming in second and the guy that uh, came in first had shot a ram that was almost identical to that one so put a put a quick stock on it and uh, ended up shooting a, his rifle. I knew my little three to nine 
Bushnell scope that I still rock and probably wasn't going to be up for the shot. So luckily, yeah, connected on it and uh, got my first dram and loaded it up. And next day we headed out on horses and we had this paint horse that decided it didn't want to be a pack horse that day. We were about halfway up the, the ridge leaving the, the basin and it decided just wasn't going to walk anymore and did about four cartwheels ass over tea kettle pack bosses on it ram head strapped to the top of it oh luckily i don't know grace of god or whatever the horse didn't break a leg when it was doing the somersaults down to the bottom and just kind of stood there and was all all spooked out and shaking and pack boxes were kind of half falling off of it so went back down and repacked the horse and ended up getting out of there okay after that <laughs> that's brutal yeah there's always something with horses though right? i don't think you can take horse like even the guys that i think do it a lot like you have to have horses that have been they live in the mountains like to be to come out of there without like a a little bit of a scene like I, i've gone on a few trips with my old man uh back home and every trip there's something it doesn't matter what you do whether you get you know a stick in the eye or they get stuck in the mud or just yeah it's yeah unpredictable always, right always something with horses they just add that extra element of something to go wrong yeah i mean they're they're a huge help when they're when they're there i mean it saves your back and saves your legs getting into where you're hunting but there's there's also that huge element of not knowing what they're gonna do yeah Horses can be fucking cunts too. Like, if they get, <laughs> they're so big and so strong. And if they're like not doing something, they ain't fucking doing it. It's, yeah. Yeah. I had no. my cocksucker fucking bit me one day. I was fucking giving it treats and it turned around, and bit me. I was like, fuck you. He's lucky yeah. he's still fucking breathing right now, man. I had a fucking welt on my side. Like, oh, yeah. And when they bite it, it hurts. They bite hard. Yeah. Yeah. Giving the motherfucker treats fucking piece of shit <laughs> yeah how far of a, a shot did you have to take on your first ram with a, a loner gun uh 678 jesus oh, that's a fucking poke eh? yeah that's like a yeah. fucking good shot to have, even think about taking with someone else's rifle that's always tough right yeah well it's yeah that was far, longest shot on a ram i've made but not the longest shot that I've seen taken on a ram, so yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Well, that way, if you miss, you could just blame it on your buddy's gun too, right? So yeah, like you. <laughs> hey, should have let me take that poke the old three to nine bush now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sweet, that's so, quite, that's a wild trip. No, go ahead, Kurt. Oh no, uh, I was just gonna ask you, kind of like, what other hunts have you? Know you were up hunting with. Uh, it was my buddy Cody O'Connell. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You guys were yeah. caribou hunting or moose hunting? Or? We were caribou hunting together up northern BC there, northwestern yeah. BC. Yeah. For you, as like you're obviously not a BC resident anymore, what do you got to do like from Alberta to come hunt in BC? I was always kind of curious to that. Um, You've got to get a hunter host permit. So basically, whoever's going to host you goes down to the government office and they fill out uh, a little piece of paperwork and 
submit it and then you'll they'll get approval for the species if it's been a few years since we filled it out but what i remember is i had to put down i had to get a non-resident bc hunter number mm -hmm. and then i had to uh we had to tell them what zone we were hunting what species we were hunting and what dates the trip was going to be mm -hmm. and then it pretty simple approval process and then it was a uh, out of out of province non-resident tag and uh and then a trophy fee after successful harvest okay oh really no, so yeah. we'll go back trophy. to the the hunt i just want to or no yeah. go ahead dev you're you're talking about what we're talking about right now go ahead yeah i was thinking just like, like that trophy fee like that's not like a guided trophy fee that goes right back to the government yeah, goes right back huh. to the government. I think the caribou trophy he was like a hundred and fifty bucks or a hundred bucks or something like that. It wasn't a ton of money, but it was was something that went right back to the government. Like that. I guess eh? yeah. So no, what I, for uh, a BC guy to go to Alberta? Like I've I know some guys have done that. What do you know what the rules are for that? Yeah, it'd be a similar process. We just go to uh, one of the hunting stores here and I get a hunter host license with you and you could buy certain tags and again you pay out a province tag fee on it or makes them a bit more yeah. expensive and yeah yeah a couple animals like if you guys wanted to come out here and hunt wolves or something you guys would have to have a wolf tag versus a resident just doesn't need a tag so that's just on your hunting license yeah hmm. cool so going back to that caribou hunt like uh i worked with cody and never really gone hunting with him but that guy always seems to kind of be out and doing all kinds of crazy shit so how did that hunt go for you guys it was it was really good it was kind of our first big hunt together like we worked together a bit too out at uh, the cottonwood historic site that's where i met him and had stayed in touch and done like some spring bear around quinell and stuff when i was still living there but nothing crazy but we always said we want to go on a big hunt and decided to to make a trip of it that year and we uh yeah first time doing a flying hunt which was pretty cool because can't in alberta you can't do the the flying hunts here in our mountain zones so that was a well, that was an experience just in itself loading up the float plane and flying into a lake and um yeah did first you get day nervous we in... no didn't get nervous i'd been on some helicopters and stuff before doing some of the hiking trips with my mom's family so i kind of knew what was going on but i definitely when we were were shooting at the caribou i mean it's the most i'd ever spent on a hunt so it's definitely most <laughs> nervous on shooting that caribou versus, <laughs> versus anything else but yeah. uh yeah the the hunt went really well we were into caribou from from day one and it uh locked out that there was enough caribou around that the, the three of us on that trip ended up all getting bulls and ran into an outfitter and stuff up there and watched them shoot a bull the first day so but, well, if you uh, see an outfitter then you're probably in the right spot yeah yeah they were camped on the other <laughs> side of the lake from us so. <laughs> but yeah, uh good. yeah that was a i think we were at that lake for 12, 12 or 13 days and ended up shooting 
two caribou about 15 kilometers from the camp as the crow flies so jesus <laughs> ended, up spending, <laughs> ended up spending three days packing meat and then uh we had one day one day off and uh the older feller was us gordy he shot a shot a caribou and yeah it was pretty pretty cool experience seeing a herd that big i think the herd of caribou that we had kind of followed was probably close to two two to three hundred animals awesome. we're just kind of cruising along behind them and and bumping them and we just kept getting farther and farther away from the lake and farther and farther away from camp and trying to get a clean shot on a on a five-point bull it just eventually took a lot of time and talking back and forth and those hush whispers nope nope third one from the left your left my left or you know just in those confusing moments when you're trying to pick out the right animal and be on the same page and they're getting farther and farther away and you're you know reaching out there i think we both shot ended up shooting our caribou at like 600 yards so jeez yeah now are they are they a bit flighty or is it just because they move so much they were just they were just kind of nomadic and and in the open and, and they were feeding away from us and it didn't there wasn't a lot of topography where we were at that time so we were kind of bump we were hurrying the back of the herd a, a little bit i think but yeah they were also feeding feeding away from us and we were trying to play catch up on them too so yeah oh, that's sweet because like fuck now now with everything that's going on who knows what caribou hunting is going to be like for any resident now in the next 10 years you know it's it's kind of a shitty situation that we've gotten ourselves into and hopefully can claw our way out of it yeah yeah, they're a cool animal. I mean, hopefully, you guys can claw claw back and get get back into it. Anyway, I haven't followed the BC hunting stuff that closely, but I have heard the caribou herds are down there, and definitely heard yeah. about that uh, that Selkirk herd going extinct down in the Kootenays there. Yeah, yeah, that one yeah. basically there's, done. There's a on that the government doesn't really know what the fuck. They're getting anti-hunting pressure shutting down, shut the backcountry down, like to recover caribou. They need to slay the fucking wolves up in some of those spots, and it would definitely, definitely help. But we've yeah. talked about that topic a thousand fucking times already. Well, for for that area that I was at with Cody, there it would have been would have been grizzly bears. There was yep. That's don't even get me going on yeah. you, you mean the yeah. endangered you know mean the endangered grizzly bears of british columbia right yes just like yes. the endangered grizzly bears we have here oh do you yeah. face the same problems in alberta with grizzly bear extinction rates yeah well they've there used to be a grizzly bear hunt in alberta and they they banned it quite a few years ago i wasn't a resident when they banned it it's always been banned since i started hunting here but i mean just this last year I was out in my favorite sheep hunting spot and sitting on one ridge and four days I saw nine different grizzly bears off one ridge so like hard to tell me that they're endangered when you're seeing that many from one ridge yeah, yeah. so they still haven't opened that in Alberta no. right no they're I still considered a, yeah they're considered a threatened species here so they're off 
they're all hunting for everybody in First Nations here. Oh, man. A lot of flat land there for you guys. For us, damn little fucking pocket from the mountains yeah. to the bottom and everywhere. It's crazy. Yeah, they, they do seem to be moving. I mean, you hear more stories of guys running bear baits and stuff further east, and they're starting to get grizzlies coming into their black bear baits and ruining them. So, Wow. Hmm. Crazy. Now, we were kind of touching on it before since we're on kind of an Alberta, BC topic here. Do you you're now familiar with Alberta's systems. Were you very familiar with how BC handled like their LEHs and, and comparable to Alberta's point system, or do you know enough about it uh, to give us some insight on what you think is a better management of, of the LEH, like just through the people, you know, um, I haven't kept up. Like when I kind of stopped hunting in BC, when hockey took over, I was just getting to that age to start putting into the LEHs there. So, um, I know your guys' system is pretty well based off a random system, but then you guys have some stuff with shared. And I remember there used to be shared partner and group hunts, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And then uh, here there's just a shared hunt, but I don't know of anybody that's ever put in on a shared tag in Alberta. So system, because I know a lot of places in the States have it. Alberta does. It sounds like it's probably it should work because I know guys that haven't had moose draws for and then there's other dudes that seem to be getting it every fucking two, three years. So like with Alberta house, with the points you're kind of guaranteed or how does that work? Yeah. So you're, everybody's got a, a fighting chance to get drawn in Alberta. So like, Every year you put your your name in, say on a moose draw, you get one point for a moose in the province. Um, and that just is how many times your hat, your name goes into the bucket. But it's pretty well based off of if you're uh, in a zone that takes nine points to draw and you're at an age of nine, you're going to pretty much guarantee getting that tag. But there is a slim chance for the person that has zero points to to draw a tag here as well but it's pretty well unheard of and how do you how do you build the points like is it per year like do you it's per like, per year and is yeah, it just so one every, point or what is it like that it's one point per year yeah oh really okay so that's what you're saying like 27 points guarantees you a, a prime sheep tag but you need 27 years there yeah yeah there's no it's not like the city in the states where you can do like the bonus points or yeah well points. they can that's what i was wondering they like they can almost like burn a tag so if they like draw a tag instead of taking it i think in some states they can like apply those points towards future applications or like if they yeah if they pull a tag they, and then they can turn it down and get i don't know if that's exactly how it works but i'm just trying to picking up pieces of podcasts and and shows here and there yeah, yeah, there's nothing like the super points here. The only thing you can really do here with your points is you can do a priority only. So you can still get a point for that species, but not draw that tag. So say you're coming up on a year where you could draw mule deer, elk, and moose tag. 
and you knew you only wanted to hunt moose that year so your tags could be spaced out your uh, mule deer and elk tag you could put down as a uh, priority only so you still build that year's points and then uh you won't there's no way when you put in for the priority only that you can get drawn but you still get the benefit of that year's points and then it yeah, yeah you just go on to the alberta alberta realm website and select which which areas what zones or priority only or has, has alberta been always that way i mean this you've lived there but has it changed have you heard from older guys or something has it always been that way it's always been pretty consistently that way from what i've heard talking to some of the older guys yeah yeah they've always had the the point system here with with draws like that could um, you imagine now trying to teach like the old boys of B to switch from what it is now to like a point system there's still guys that have the online system let alone fucking trying to figure out a whole new point system it'd be chaos <laughs> yeah but i mean that's it might be a needed chaos too who knows i'm not saying for yeah. sure but it's like it seems like something needs to mix up a little bit so I, yeah it's kind of it does get a little bit frustrating like there are some really good areas to hunt moose say just north of hinton but like kurt you said you hadn't been drawn for nine years well it's a eight-year priority to hunt in the zone just north of town here so i mean you're yeah i don't know you get you get kind of locked kind of you can get lucky you always have that fighting chance but yeah that's true lose it well, like being BC residents, like the opportunity or elk, like a lot of places you can go where it's open season, right? Or like three points or on the brow or whatnot. Yeah. It is frustrating though, man. You put in for your LEHs and you're like, this is the year, right? And fucking nil again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the one good thing about the points is you can kind of plan your hunts and once you get enough different species going on your point system, you can kind of stagger it out. And yeah, maybe you don't hunt, don't hunt the moose zone that takes 10 years of applying to hunt there and pick one that's different. I mean, I've had one moose draw in Alberta and it ended up being a zone that you only needed two points to draw for. And I hunted that zone hard and I saw one cow the whole season. So it was <laughs> kind of, <laughs> Easy they're, spot they're, to draw, but no moose. Easy spot to draw, but not a lot of moose action going on in it. So it's kind of that catch twenty two of yeah, you could I'm sure like I'm sure there's areas in that zone that if you spent more time there than I did, maybe scout in preseason or hunted it for a few years in a row and you could find out the spots, but I mean I kind of just said to hell with that zone after spending one year in there and not seeing anything. <laughs> yeah. Now you kind of touched earlier saying like <clears throat> you don't haven't followed a lot along with BC and what's going on over here. I mean, you see stuff in social media and different things and, and we're kind of the same way with Alberta. Um, do you notice, like, do you feel like Alberta manages their wildlife fairly well? Is there a lot of hot topics around your guys' industry like ours where we think like the 
the predators are being mismanaged and our rights are being mismanaged and the funding like that's like the big topics in bc right now like is there anything like that in alberta like i don't really follow it yeah there's there's stuff like that here for sure i mean i don't know how much factual this is but i mean talking to, to all the old boys and stuff around there's some areas just north of here where they're trying to save the uh save the caribou that are left in alberta and they've basically opened the zone up for for all hunting for anything um cow calf moose draws um basically just giving away tags and encouraging people to hunt in these zones on the theory that if they people shoot all the other ungulates the wolves will just leave and leave the caribou alone which that's the same that's the same theory as here we were wondering why they were leaving the the white tail like white tailed populations aren't booming in in the Kootenays here but they weren't like horrible i guess you could say and then a lot of the mule deer stuff was left open too and our populations are dwindling and and i heard the same the same thought where it's like well yeah we're just going to leave the elk open a little bit more we're going to leave the white tails open a little bit more and it's going to help sustain the caribou herd because the wolves won't have anything to eat so it's it's exactly the same thought yeah yeah i mean it's kind of like i don't know i'm not a biologist or anything but to me a wolf's not going to care whether it's eating on a caribou or it's eating on an elk i mean the same thing to it at the end of the day it's meat yeah yeah but yeah there's some stuff like that and then there's um some like coal mine developments and stuff that they want to put in kind of down south so it's going to affect some watersheds. Um, I mean, there's um, Alberta, if you're First Nations, you don't have to be from Alberta to hunt here. Somebody that lives in BC that's First Nations can come hunt here without tags. Wow. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of that kind of stuff where I think it's, unmanaged harvests are hurting it um or you know for on the sheep front here there's guys that kind of do fly-by-night outfit operations where they you know they got a team of horses and they're not a they're not a licensed guide or outfitter but they're taking people into the back country and dropping them off and picking them up as a as a pack service but i mean they're getting more and more people into spots that normally those people wouldn't have the means to go during hunting season so i think some animals are losing a bunch of safe havens from that mm-hmm. yeah people you get think that's like back. yeah yeah i mean they'd go hire joe smith down the road to take them 30 40 miles into the back country with his horse team and then pick them up a week later i mean that group of people probably they wouldn't be getting back there on foot to hunt that country yeah, I guess so that's... you think, like, maybe when the guys... Oh. Go ahead. Oh, keep I was just saying, off, motherfucker. You, you fucking started it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, so you think, like, when a guide territory is, like, held, it's been, you know, watched by the biologists and managed properly, that, yeah, it's, it's okay if the guides are back in there, they've checked that, but then some of these areas, they just assume no one's getting back in a lot, and then this guy can, you know, people can be taken you know, 20 different hunters into there in a year where normally maybe one or two got in there. So they would rather have it monitored by guiding or at least some kind of restriction, maybe. 
Yeah, I think it's just kind of the, yeah, like a fly-by-night kind of outfit. It's not fair to the outfitter that's doing it by the books, and oh, yeah. it's also not fair to uh, some of the guys that uh, are super passionate about horses and backcountry hunting off their horses that, that live for that, and then somebody's using that using that to make a quick buck. Yeah. To, to play devil that not be the same as guys hired hiring a pilot in bc to drop them off in these is that not yeah, kind of the same the, same thing yeah kind of? it's kind of the same thing it it's is still for shitty. sure the same thing yeah yeah <laughs> well <laughs> it's kind of I mean, what i'm thinking all... right but yeah you guys are just guess... where you can hunt too like you think of uh thin horn sheep fucking anywhere any mountain or it's a fucking sheep range most of them anyways right where basically have the rockies on the alberta side to hunt bighorns right yeah so you are limited and, to so it's a very yeah. very you know whatever many fucking hectares northern bc is of stone sheep country like there's fucking millions of them yeah you get that remember most of the rockies in alberta are consumed by jasper and bounce yeah, right. yeah. Parks. yeah yeah or then you go down to the southern border there's waterton park down there taking up a large chunk and yeah then there's also a few other uh like i was saying those wildland areas or reservation areas that aren't aren't an actual park but you can't hunt in them or protected areas yeah they're yeah. kind of like a protected area so. so what you're saying is alberta has just as many problems as bc maybe <clears throat> oh definitely i think they all have some problems i think there's you know again more and more people here are wanting these wildlife <clears throat> wildlife parks and whatnot that uh don't allow hunting in them and put in uh put in big cabins and stuff for people from the city to go hike out to and enjoy nature for the weekend and Stay in their hike in chalet in the Rockies somewhere. Yeah, blame it on the fucking ADP. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that hiking chalet kind of thing that I was talking about was one of the NDP ideas when we had them in here. But you guys aren't NDP anymore. No, we haven't been. I can believe that the Alberta when they went NDP. Them cowboys. cowboys vote that bullshit in. BC. Well, it wasn't the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah. No, it definitely wasn't the Cowboys, I hear you. Yeah, it was all the Edmonton and Calgary people. Yeah. It's the same as here, really. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you guys are pretty much whatever way Vancouver and the lower mainland votes is what you guys get stuck with. Yeah, yeah pretty much. I mean, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dave, I think it's been a, a good chat with you. I mean, it's yeah. uh, we appreciate you coming on and, and sharing some of your knowledge in the, in the sheep country and what Alberta has to offer. And yeah, it's been, it's been good. I mean, uh, I'd really like to, you know, talk more with you and maybe maybe get out hunt one one of these years. We'll have to see if yeah. uh, either, we we're gonna either have to host. We we'll have to rock paper scissors to see who hosts who first. I guess. Eh? Yeah, we'll have to see on that. And... <laughs> Depends what you guys want to hunt out here too. 
Yeah, well, the way we're going over <laughs> here, it might have to be everything. Yeah, well, I think for for hosting out here, I think everything but cheap is on the board. So, oh, cool. ah, fuck, deal off. Yeah, well, we ain't yeah. coming then. Yeah, deal break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's sweet. Well, yeah, so it's pretty good chatting with you, and uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Nice catching up with you both. I came from the mud. There's dirt on my hands. Strong like a tree. There's roots where I stand. Oh, I've been running from the law. Hope they won't shoot me down soon. Catch me howling at the moon